Welcome to the resource room. I'm Amanda, the blogger and TPTer behind the Primary Gal. As a special education teacher, you are always supporting others, students, parents, general education teachers. But who is supporting you? That's where this podcast comes in. It's my mission to give you the help and support that you need. I'll be sharing my tips, tricks, research-based strategies, and professional development. I'm here to help you grow and learn as a resource room teacher. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hi, Emily. Thank you so much for being here today on the Resource Room Podcast. Thanks, Amanda. I'm so excited. This is so cool. Me too. I am very excited to talk to you, especially when you and I were kind of brainstorming ideas and talking about using centers in the resource room. So I'm very excited about that. But before we dive into that, how about you tell listeners just a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I, I'm sure you can tell by my accent because I'm sure it sounds worse to people than it sounds to me. Um, I'm from Alabama. Um, I have been teaching for five years and I have done something different every single year, um, which is super interesting to me. I've done gen ed. I've done an autism behavioral classroom, self-contained resource, um, special education. And that kind of seems to be where I'm landing um, is resource special ed. But right now I am doing grades K1 and 2 primarily with a couple of third graders. Um, and I'm just here in a little home, little small town. You're t- if you have seen any movie about an Alabama small town, I live <laughs> there. Like I live in that stereotypical, yes, the town revolves around football. Um, totally right. But I actually teach in a neighboring city. So that's nice for me to kind of have some separation. Um, But we love anything from sporting events to concerts. Um, We're just living the the childless life, as we call it, just two (laughs) young people um, traveling and doing whatever. Um, And I just happen to be a teacher. That's what I like to tell people because teaching is not who I am, but it's definitely something that I'm uh, passionate about and love to talk about. Well, that's good. That's exciting. And I had children very, very young, so sometimes I'm jealous of the, like, childless life that some people live, you know? And then other times I'm like, but wait a minute, whenever I'm older, you know, like, not old, old, but, like, in my 40s, I'll be able to travel, and then I'll actually have the money to do it. This is true. (laughs) And my children are out of the house, so. Yeah, we we do a strict budget life right now. My husband's actually a full-time nursing student, so life is very um, exciting and interesting for us right now, but I love it. I wouldn't change one thing about our life right now. Um, I love what I'm doing. I love where I'm working. Um, I love how things are going with us, so yeah, just. That's good. Loving my life. That's good. And I think it's important, like, you know, you said you've taught something different every year. Mm-hmm. That's good because you can find what you love, but you can also, you know, like autism be- and behavior, that's totally different than resource, but that doesn't mean you don't still have that in your resource room setting. So it gives you some time to kind of get your feet wet with a lot of different things. Yes. I've been very thankful because I've met a lot of people, which I'm only 27, but you know, these new teachers, 21, 22, who are jumping into this teaching career in such a, in a crisis mode. I mean, education is in a crisis and 
the whole, well, I don't know. Like, I don't, now I'm questioning if this is what I want to do. And I say special ed is the perfect place to be because there's so many different things you can try. Like it's more different than just, well, maybe I would rather do sixth grade than first grade. No, you can do medically fragile units. You can be just an inclusion teacher and work side by side with a gen ed teacher. You might be in a district like mine that has, we call them collaborative specialists, where they're special ed teachers and their full-time job is to come in the classrooms and support us, see what we need, advocate for us. Jobs like that are starting to pop up. Um, You can do autism. You can do intellectual disabilities, moderate to severe. It's a very versatile um, career in itself within education. And so I always try to tell people, like, just change. Yeah. Try something different. Go secondary. There's a big difference between first graders and resource special education and what you do as a 12th grade as you're getting them ready to graduate, transition, career goals, um, all of those things. So there's definitely, if you love special education, maybe you're just not happy in what specific area you're in. And I always feel like that's encouraging because it can be, it's very discouraging right now um, to be a teacher and I think people are walking away too soon where there is, there are so many choices. Like this is a great time to be a teacher because I mean, yes, there's a shortage, but it allows you to move around and see what it is that you actually like. And I've had the blessing to, I mean, I've done, like I said, I've done something different every year. This year I've done two jobs, (laughs) two jobs, (laughs) Um, but it was exactly what I needed and I'm happier now than I ever was. So it totally works out. You know, you know, it's something that you're supposed to do. Um, so yeah. And, and it's something that's so rewarding. You know, I mean, like, if you put in the work, your kids make growth and to, mm-hmm. to look and be like, well, this time last year, or this time three months ago, they were not able to do this. And mm-hmm. look at where we are. Their journey is so much harder and so much different than their gen ed peers. And so it's just, to me, incredibly rewarding. I love Yes, that. absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about using centers in your classroom, because as I yeah. told you before we actually hit record, this is something that I've been thinking about and talking about for a while and just haven't, I guess, been able to pull the trigger or been brave mm-hmm. enough to try because time is so precious. And so Let's talk a little bit about what are the benefits or what kind of led you to, okay, I think I'm going to do centers in the resource room. Yeah. So I kind of played with the idea of centers probably my second year of teaching. At that time, I had third and fourth graders. I had 30, 32 third and fourth graders, which is big for two grade levels. Um, And no para, just me. And with resource special education, I think that gets looked over and is not talked about a lot is how to make a schedule mm-hmm. and how scheduling works and how flexible it needs to be. Um, and there needs to be understanding with that, that the resource special edu- education teacher is going to have higher caseload numbers. We've got to see more students at a time while still following a progression in a research-based program, providing specialized instruction tracking that data and tracking IEP goal down. Like there's so much that has to happen in that 30 to 45 minute time frame that the IEP dictates. And so the idea I started playing with because I was having to pull, I was pulling a group of fourth graders together 
where in August, we all kind of started in the same place. But I, October, I had one, I mean, was reading a fourth grade level text with 50 words per minute, one who was still working on the first hundred fry sight word list, um, one who just needed fluency in general, like we can decode, but we can't string words in a sentence together. And I mean, very differing needs, but because of that schedule, I really didn't have a way to split them up mm-hmm. um, because, you know, we're tied down. We can't pull during tier one. They've got to get tier through two services as well. We still have to have a planning. I mean, that's state mandated. We can't skip our planning. Um, and so it was like, how can I still, one, follow a research-based program like their IEPs dictate, but two, also providing that individualized instruction because that's really why they need our support to begin with. I mean, the IEP is an individualized educational program. Like I just, in my heart, did not feel right continuing on with a program that was working with for three members of the group and not the other three. Right. I felt like that was wrong and I felt like it was a denial of fate. Um, so I literally created a schedule within my schedule. I mean, on Mondays, this was what we did. On Tuesdays, this is what we did. And every day it was different. Um, and I can remember like Thursdays was always sight word day. Whatever group of sight words they needed to work on, um, that was the centers that they worked with. And I would create a center for whatever group that they needed and they could all still work together, but it was getting individualized what they needed. Wednesday, we were working on fluency. Um, Tuesdays was phonics, but that allowed me where they would rotate to me with where I could provide that direct instruction on the skill that they needed within that program. Um, And then for the rotate out and to get that individualized practice rehearsing that they need, because we know that our students need way more exposure than anybody else, and then still be able to practice independently as well so that we can see, okay, did they get it? Did they not get it? And that's kind of how it started. Now in my classroom, um, I'm needing this in math and reading. Um, this is my first go at little people, um, as I like to call them. They, like, the, the joke is, like, isn't it? <laughs> the joke to my principal all the time is, "Who thought putting me with little people was a good idea?" <laughs> because most of my career has been third, fourth, fifth, and sixth, uh-huh. and I loved it. I, and especially fourth and fifth grade, like that, I felt like, "Oh, this is my jam." I love the social emotional stuff, but the little people has been really good for me. Um, because like you were saying earlier, the amount of growth you see at that age, I could not believe the, just the confidence it gave me as a teacher. Whereas at fourth and fifth grade, you really don't see that much progress that you see at this age. It's not as quick. It's very, sometimes you're working on like such big, massive skills. Like when you break down that skill, it is going to take a long time to master, you know? So it's like, yes working on these hefty things, it's totally different when you're working on first grade skills. Yes, absolutely. And of course, we know that research tells us that after eight years old, it's harder for them to retain. It's harder to change that brain chemistry. And so I had come into this situation where it's like, okay, I'm going to have these little people. So I grouped them by where they were at at that time. Um, We just followed the progressions of the programs that I was using. And very quickly, there was huge gaps coming just between 
the few that I had in there. And sometimes it's, I mean, it's three kids. Mm-hmm. Like I've got three kids in a group that were all there together, but now I've got one that's ready to go to the next lesson. One that really needs to go back a level one that needs to just go a little slower than what I'm going. And so I came back to just that conviction I had of, am I providing faith? Is this free appropriate public education? Is this individualized to what they need? So I kind of reverted back to what I had done before, just really looking at, and this is where I kind of caution people because centers are something that's not going to work in your resource room if you are not taking heavy data. I mean, heavy data. If that's something that you feel like you struggle with, I mean, we can talk about that another day too, but you know, just on where they are in their IEP goal, how, what grade level equivalency are they at right now? There's, there's so much information that you need to ensure that you're providing things that align with the research-based program that you legally have to use, but also is individualized for them. So for me today, depending on what I'm doing, it can look really different. Like um, a math day for me might look like um, we start with a warm-up song on counting to 50 is what my, me and my kindergartners are doing right now. We're just counting to 50, um, 20, excuse me, 20. My second graders were counting to 50. Um, we're just practicing counting to 20, and we might do a song, All of Us, to count to 20 as a warm-up. And then at my table, because, again, I'm in a fourth room is what we call it. Um, at my table, I might have one matching numbers to quantities. One, we're doing rote counting and practicing one-to-one correspondence. And then I have another where I'm doing addition facts. I mean, very different skills. We're going from number identification to one-to-one correspondence, rote counting to addition facts. Very, very different. But this is the 30-minute time slot that I can pull them for math where they're not missing tier one instruction. Um, And I have to get really creative sometimes too with that. And there are days that we don't do that, that we just all do the lesson that's needed because everybody needs it. Um, But the, you know, that's where I think you have to track. If you're not tracking heavily, then I don't think centers will work for you because it changes weekly for me. I mean, every week I'm pulling something different. And a lot of it is stuff that I've just acquired from teaching um, where it might be a skill that we're practicing and I find a task box on teacher pay teacher and I've created a task box for that one skill. But then it'll be, oh, well, I pulled this for Johnny in group three, but now I realize that Sam in group four needs it too. So now this goes into Sam's center rotation. Um, and I track it by kid. Like I have the kids' names listed of this is what they need to be practicing. Once they've mastered one, I move it to the mastered list and I rotate in something else. Um, Place value blocks. That's so easy to make a center out of. Just write some numbers on a post-it note, stick it in front of them. You're counting, doing one-to-one correspondence. You're doing place value. You're doing number sequence. You're doing digit. You know, there's so much that you're doing that then turns around and gives you data as well. my literacy centers are different. One thing that I love, it's Boom Cards. I don't know if you've heard of Boom Cards. I pay for the subscription with my own money every year because it gives you great data. But I can assign, um, I'm trying to think of fake names because I want to say my real kids' <laughs> names. Like I can assign Lily her addition facts, but then turn around and give Andy just matching 
numbers to quantities. Like he just needs to know when I've counted this much, this is how many that is. And it shoots me out a data point at the end of the day for it. But while I've got them doing that, I'm working with them one-on-one. -on -one or I'm providing instruction from that research-based program where I might say, pause, let's do this together for, for a minute and work 10 minutes one-on-one -on -one with that child and then send them back to practicing. Or I might realize, okay, this is way too easy. Scratch, you take the center away from them and go to whatever the next step would be. Um, and I think with that too, that's got, you've got to really know your programs. I mean, you've really got to know the progression of what comes next. Um, and that can be overwhelming. If you're a new teacher and listening to this, you probably think I'm crazy. Um, but there's a lot that goes into that. But it can be so beneficial because it's individualized. You are hitting that individualized portion of what IDEA calls us to do by law and why these children are in special ed. To get that one-on-one, -on -one, direct, explicit, individualized instruction. That's what specialized instruction is. So, I mean, that can be anything that we know that child needs if you're actually tracking what they need. Um, and it's, it's incredible. It can be changing. It's more, way more engaging than me reading a script mm -hmm. from a program. It's way more engaging than putting that workbook in front of them and having them write through it. You can still do those things. And, of course, you should still do those things. But that should still be driving data for you on what you need. If you're in that program and you're practicing spelling A-Y, the A sound at the end using A-Y, and they're not getting it, the next day I'm going to have a center, different multi-sensory centers where they've got to spell A-Y. It might be with Play-Doh. Pipe cleaners are great for spelling words because they've got to run their hands over it. Um, that kind of goes back to tear-free writing. That's, so, that's such an old program but running their fingers and having to create the letters. Um, and I might have two doing that and me and this other one are back to our letters and we're just practicing our letters. And I think another benefit of doing centers is that you're getting those exposures because we know children with specific learning disabilities or they're, maybe they're being serviced because of ADHD or even I have lots of kids with autism on my caseload, even as a resource teacher which is interesting, they need more exposures. It's not that their brain can't learn it, it's that their brain needs more time. It's, ju it's just a processing disorder, guys. That's what, I mean, that's what I want to tell teachers all the time. Like, you're, you're saying they can't do it, but they can, but we have to provide the exposures. It has to come from us. We have to give them the chance to learn it, and I think centers is the perfect way. Um, and it can be simple things like flashcards or like I said earlier, a task box that you can buy for a dollar mm -hmm. on teacher pay teacher that just matches whatever skill you're trying to hone on that week. Um, because if you're doing your job right in resource special ed and maybe you agree with me, you don't go from lesson to the next lesson to the next lesson because they need more exposures. So centers are the perfect way to do it and it's going to look different depending on the size of your classroom um what you have available for you like you know you might be in a district that says you have to follow these programs to fidelity every single time okay follow it to fidelity and put it in a center 
giving that because we have to build their independence and that's another benefit of centers is that it's going to build their independence their teamwork if you're having to pair them up i had two friends with autism this week that i had spelling sight words with um vowel consonant e and it wasn't going well at first <laughs> it wasn't because one wanted to do the blue side and one wanted to do the white side and we couldn't decide and i was like you're gonna have to compromise because i'm working with them this is something you're gonna have to work out together and it did. It gave them the perfect moment to not only practice that phonics skill, which was also, I mean, they're they're practicing the phonics skill, but they're also spelling it. But now I've, I've hit social skills right in the middle of it. And now they're working on just cooperation and, and being a human being, like how to work with somebody else. And that all happened within one 30-minute time slot in my classroom. And that those are all data points for us. I mean, that's... I mean, that's a data point for you that so-and-so and so-and-so had this type of conversation. This is how it went. So that means that he met his goal. There's your fourth out of fifth occurrence right there. Um, so there's so much. And even if it goes badly, then it's also a teachable moment. You know, so even yes. if it doesn't work as perfectly, because we know sometimes it doesn't, that's mm-hmm. still a learning opportunity for that child. Absolutely. So either way, it. It might start ugly, but in the end, it's it's nice. You've got to put in the yeah. time, effort, and energy to make that happen. Absolutely. And it can be, I mean, very overwhelming, like I said before. So when I first thought, I'm going to have to do centers to do this, to do my job correctly, I picked one group in one subject and started there. I picked that one fourth grade reading group and said, okay, I'm going to try this. Um, and create, you know, Monday, we do the lesson to fidelity. Tuesday, we're going to have skills, have centers based on just the phonics rule. Wednesday, we're going to do just spelling centers with the phonics rule. And when they come to me, I'm going to review that lesson again and reteach that lesson and reteach that coding. Thursdays, we're going to do sight word practice. And again, when they come to me, I'm going back to that research-based program every time um and it's and there's just so many data i mean that's what i keep going back to because our job is driven by data so you're getting goal i mean you can have stuff for your iep goals but also just for their overall data things as strengths like i started noticing doing centers that like wait a second he's a really good speller he can spell it but he can't decode it why mm-hmm why is he able to do mm-hmm. his the spelling center independently, but when he comes to read words on a list for me, he can't do it. Um, and so you just know your kids so much better. And I think it drives you to just plan better, honestly, because you're thinking about each individual child and what is best for them. And I think as special ed teachers in general, we get so caught up in the schedule the IEPs, the referrals, the eligibilities, the paperwork side of stuff, because I joke with people all the time, you only see me do 30% of my job. That's very true. People see me teach and they see me plan for that teaching, but that's only 30% of it. You're not seeing the amount of IEP service pages that I've done this week or the amendment meetings or just, I mean, I just, I can't even begin to list it because it's so much. And I think we get can get very easily stuck in that. It's almost like the 
I'm trying, I can't think of the words right now. Like you're stuck in the routine. Like you just, it's just, you're doing everything by, by the motion. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking of that. Yeah. Like muscle memory. It's just what you do and you just go through it just with automaticity without even thinking about it. Yes. And do, especially going back to it this year, because I felt like I needed a change. And I know it's something that most teachers are dealing with right now, just with the stress from the pandemic and what's happening in our nation as a whole, but in Alabama, I mean, they've enacted a literacy act during this pandemic, which has been very stressful about, you know, reading proficiency and having that most children have got to be reading proficient by third grade. And if not, they're going to be held back. I mean, we've got a lot of stuff going on in Alabama. Um, And I just, I needed something different. And that was my first thought because I just need to go back to doing centers because it's more enjoyable for me I feel like I get more out of those kids in those 10 to 12 minutes that I'm working with just that one or just those two while the others are doing things that are engaging. Um, And just another, just to give a story, I have one child right now with severe ADHD and he really needs to be in a group one-on-one for us to get reading, any type of reading instruction done, but I can't, I can't work it out. I, I mean, I've just got too many kids he's gonna have to come to a group with people um and it's very hard for him to do a, a even in a small group with four of us for him to attend to me while the others are getting things out of it he just really struggles and centers doing a center type rotation within that 30 minutes has been a game changer for him absolute game changer because i start him on an activity where he's engaged, that he's, it's multi-sensory, he's working with his hands, he's getting to get up from the table while I, you know, do whatever it is with the others I'm going to do. And by the time I bring him here, he is getting one-on-one now. He's getting my full attention, which he craves. Right. And I'm, I'm finishing lessons with him. I mean, I am finishing lessons that are supposed to take 30 minutes in a 10-minute time frame with this one kid because he's so ready He's ready to soak it up. He's ready to learn. And it's been fascinating. It's been absolutely fascinating. Um, And it's just, that's what he needed. And so I started, that's when I was like, okay, I'm doing this with everybody. (laughs) Everybody, we're about to do this with everybody. And I think it's easier to plan because you just get your rotations and you're just looking for mastery on different skills. And so it's, it's really hard for me to be like, this is how you do it because our caseloads are so different. Our needs are so different. It just really is. What does your kid need? And, and I, I mean, cause mine are 30 minutes. It's easy for me. They come in, we do a five minute warm up, and then they get seven to 10 minutes with me. What does planning look like for you? Because honestly, hearing you talk, it's like, I feel like your day would go by so quickly because, you know, it's just constant, constant. But the planning sounds a little intimidating to me. Like, holy cow, how do I manage everybody almost like on a different path? You know, mm-hmm. if somebody's starting here, well, they need X, Y, and Z, but somebody else is here and needs A, B, and C. So like, what does that look like for you? So something that, and I'm so thankful, I have one of the best administrators in the world. I mean, just super supportive. Something that her and I spoke about when I took on this role was my schedule has got to be very intentional. So 
it actually worked out for me where it's in my schedule for IEP writing. Oh, that's where, amazing. You know, Mondays from 2.30 to 3 and Fridays from 11 to 11. I don't even know. I'm making it up now. <laughs> 11 to 11.30. It is in my schedule that this is what Miss Norris is doing. And, and that's what gen ed teachers see too. So they know, okay, these are not times that I can meet with her because this is protected IEP writing time. I have times where this is open just for general ed teacher support. Um, and so I took my actual planning planning and kind of applied the same concepts where Monday I'm, look, I can't even know because I'm one of those people, I have to see it. Yeah, like, I look at my schedule a thousand times a day and I still to the, I cannot tell you I don't know what I do on what day whatever that clipboard says is what I move on to. Um, but I have days where it's like okay I'm going to plan the lessons that we're going to do whole group and and just go and I start at the top of the list and I go down because by the end of the day I pulled 10 groups. No, seven academic groups, but I also do like an hour of inclusion. Um, I do an hour of autism support um, in there too. And so every day looks very different for me. I've got social skills thrown. I have a lunch social skills group on Wednesdays that has thrown me for a loop. Um, but it's very, very intentional. And that's my number one advice too to new teachers is you have to plan your planning. Yeah. You have to know what you're doing on every day. And usually I look at those centers on Fridays because I want to look at, like, kind of look back through my work samples, pull up my boom cards, kind of, you know, look back at my sticky notes and say, okay, this group needs to do the exact same this week. Um, they, their centers don't need the same. This group is past mastery. I need to do a data point check on Monday and then change them out. Um, and so Friday, I mean, Fridays during that protected 30 minute instructional planning time I have, that is when I do it. And I think that comes back to the planning is so much easier if you are taking data efficiently. If you have a system of data collecting that works for you, that gives you the information that you need, it's really not that difficult. So if planning is overwhelming to you, then I would suggest that you look at your data collection system. And is it really something that's working for you and efficient for you and meaningful to you? Because if it's not, that's where you need to start. Because when I have that data, I mean, I can just pull it out in 30 minutes. I have it planned. For so the whole what week. does data collection look like for you? How do you organize it? Where are you pulling data? I mean, you talked a little bit about Zoom, obviously like informal as you're working with the student, but then where do you record it so that when it's time to plan, you know what you're doing? Yeah, so I want to preface this with saying that it has taken me five years to <laughs> yeah. decide. Um, it is something I feel like as you grow as a teacher, you learn what works for you. And this is the first year I've been like, Nab it, this is it. Totally, um, I nailed it. <laughs> I nailed it. This works for me. So I have, I mean, they call it the binder. Like when I walk down the hall, like, oh, Norris has got the binder out because it's huge. <laughs> it's massive. And I have a tab for every child in grade level order. So it's easy for me to find. Um, they're I have every grade color coded. So kindergarten is orange. First grade is yellow. Second grade is red because it's my biggest. And then my few third graders that I have are pink because they're all girls. It's like my all girl group. 
And so I have a color-coded system on them. For each tab for each child, I have a progress monitoring page that if you guys follow Lesson and Lattes on Instagram, it's something on her teacher, pay teacher. She does it by month, which I love. And she gives you a box for each week. So I've got a spot for each week to record stuff. And that's a place that I put, you know, mastered place value task cards, 80%. And I just write it in that little task, in that little box under the math portion. Um, that's also where I record. We do an assessment called STAR and Dibbles in Alabama. And they take that once a month. And so the week that I give those assessments, I record those sheets. So at the end of the school year, I have one page of at, at least, if not more. I mean, I'm usually trying to fit in more in those boxes of just data points, of just progress. But then behind those sheets, I have a, a data page for their goal. So if I've given them a practice sheet or I'm doing something within the lesson that pertains to their IEP goal, then I pull out that sheet and I mark it on that. Um, and I have gotten those from the Autism Resource Classroom. She does a lot of autism stuff, but her Instagram, her teacher pay teacher is amazing. Every teacher needs to check her out. She's been teaching for years, very knowledgeable. Her data sheets are my favorite. I use them for even behavior data collection, um, inclusion. I use her anxiety rating scales. Um, her stuff is super good as well. And I, whenever, whatever child I'm working with, that it is in front of me right right there and then between each group i kind of give myself a three to five minute grace period between each group and that's something like put that in your schedule yes put definitely. a five minute five minute gap between each group and give yourself time to run to the bathroom and to do data collection or you'll make an excuse to not do it um and typically during centers too i might have sticky notes to the side where it's like okay i noticed he just matched all of those letters independently so i'm gonna put 26 out of 26, 100% put his initials. So when that class, that group leaves me, then I'm in that binder and I'm recording it immediately because I'm one of those people, if I wait, it doesn't happen. Yes, definitely. I lose sticky notes. Um, I've seen so many people give professional developments on the use of sticky notes and special education. And I'm like, this is great, but what if you lose it? <laughs> I ask it every time. I always ask when I'm in a PD about that. Like, have you ever lost your sticky notes? Well, no, I've never lost one. It's like, well, yeah, well, good okay. for you, but the rest but of us great. <laughs> I, I like to tell people I'm somewhere between a type A and a type B. Like I'm organized enough where I'm a type A, but I'm not, I'm type B enough where I lose things too, or I don't remember Like, you can tell me something at 8 a.m. by 3 p.m. if I didn't write it down. I, I have no recollection uh, yes, of what definitely. we have talked about. So, it, like I said, that's just how I, I do it. And I keep that binder with me at my instructional area at all times. So, if I'm working with one or two, and I've rearranged them. I mean, there's a couple within first grade, especially. It's like, okay, well, I'm pulling these two together almost constantly. So, they're back to back. So all I got to do flip back and forth between those pages. Yes. And I'm doing it, like I said, all on one page. And I'm not one of those people that I can create things like I'll never be a teacher pay teacher seller because I'm just not creative enough. But I will steal things from other people. Um, 
And I, I mean, I took that from Lessons in Lost Days and I've used it for two years now. I mean, it's just really worked for me. Um, as far as IEP goal data collection, because I think that's a hard for people too, because you've got to have more than just the boom cards. Like you really need a worksheet individual practice. What I did is I have created, I call them the green folder. Thursdays now in my rotation, they have to do the green folder at least once um, before doing a puzzle or doing matching whatever it is. Like you've got to do a green folder and that'll be one of the stations where I have them do it on their own. And in that green folder is practice sheets for whatever their reading goal is and practice sheets wherever their math goal is. And I have it labeled reading or for my children that are still learning to read, I put ABC on the math. It says one, two, three. If it's a goal that they have to do it with me, where it's like a fluency goal or a sight word recognition goal, then it's my data sheet and my flashcards in that pocket. So those kids know to bring it to me, then I'm not scrambling to bring a, a bunch of stuff out. It's in the green folder. I pull it out. We sit and do the data collection. This works great for fluency passages too. You have their copy and the teacher copy and you put it all right there. Mm -hmm. Do not try to keep it separate. Do not try. Um, and then I have a separate folder for completed work samples for them. And it stays in a crate in my room. And I'll say, okay, now go put this in your folder. Or I don't even know what I call it, honestly. Almost the black like, crate. I'm like, almost like in the gen ed room, you'd be like, go put this in your mailbox or, you know, whatever. Yes, just it's the same. Like, yes, like go put this in your black crate. And they'll go find their name and they'll stick it in. And right there, that tells me if they've met that goal, here's the date. Here's the date of mastery. This tells me how many times they've attempted it. There gives me the accuracy. And it's all right there. So when it's time to write that next IEP, I'm just pulling their whole folder out. It's not something that I've kept up with, you know, separately on my own. It's something the kids and I do together. And it makes IEP writing so much easier as well because I just flip to their tab in the binder. I have all of these data points. Um, and then I have the folder of the proved work whether they met that IEP goal or not. And and it really helps parents too. Like I, there's been times I've pulled that progress monitoring that whole month and been like, this is how much growth they've made. Like you see in August, we were still working on G-H-I-J-K. Those, those letters are so hard. I'm still terrible, trying to learn why. <laughs> that set right there, that set. Um, but now we're working on reading the second list of fright words. Like we've got our phonemic awareness. We've got our CBC words. Um, because it can feel like the growth is just not happening. But I mean, it excites me. I love looking at their <laughs> their stuff because it it makes me feel good, especially on the days that are just harder, like ugh, they're not getting it. Um, but yeah, that's taken me five years. I mean, I've changed it every year because like, well, I don't like it. Or this isn't really giving me what I need. This isn't telling me what I need to know. Um, and the color coding has helped me a lot. And I do everything, like my the work samples, Second grade is red. Mm -hmm. Third grade is pink. And they don't know what the colors mean, but I know because it's just easier for me to go through it. And like, I need all of first grade. We'll just pull all the yellow out. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, but it's taken me a while. Like it's, a, that's, that's a place you have to give yourself a lot of grace. Yeah. I mean, you have to give yourself a lot of grace and, and to go watch people. I mean, we have a brand new teacher. She's come and just watched me one day. Like, how did you? take data points all day long. 
Um, so yeah, it's, it's something, it's very interesting to me because everybody does it so differently and it's kind of discouraging when people give professional developments or things like that. They get up like, this is how you collect data. And then you try it and you're like, this sucks. Right. This, and I felt like that for so, so long. Different. And wouldn't you feel, I, maybe this is me getting on my soapbox, but like we teach special education and we know everyone learns differently. We also learn and do things differently. And so once you kind of are aware of that, it's just different, you know, like then it's okay that what you're doing works for you. And I might be like, "Mm -mm, no way am I going to carry around that binder. I want whatever it is, you know, so it's just, that's okay, but take what you need and use it. And, and I also think the trial and error what I was doing my first few years of teaching is definitely not what I'm doing now yeah. because I learned all of the wrong ways to do it so I could fix that mm-hmm. and then realize you're making your own life harder in so many areas. And so how can you take, here's what needs done and now strip it back to like, what's actually useful and how can I do it yes. and, and all of those things. And, and we might have people that are listening to this right now and being like, you know, that's great. But I, I just can't start a whole new data collection. And I go back to pick one group, pick one group yeah. and practice it on that one group. Don't worry about everybody else. Take that one group and practice taking data. See if you like it. And I, I always tell people too, like, you know, when we take behavior data, we tell people, we encourage people, you got to give an intervention at least four to six weeks. Give yourself at least two yes. before you give up. Before you four say, would this be preferable. Work. Yeah. <laughs> like intervene for four weeks. Give yourself four weeks. And that's just something you have to build on, especially new teachers. Um, and I've just been lucky to have good mentors, supportive admin. Like I, I have, a, you know, I've been lucky and I know it. Not everyone has had as much support as I've had in my five years. Um, you know, and ask for help. Ask you know, and it can be, it can be so overwhelming, but it is so worth it too, because this job is overwhelming. It's an emotional overwhelming job. And the more systems you have in place, the more effective you're going to be because your stress isn't going to, well, I actually don't know if they met that IEP goal. I don't, I don't know what phonics skill they need to work on. You know, it's, it's going to make your job so much more enjoyable and more efficient and you're going to feel more like an expert too because you will know so much about those kids and what they need i also think this episode i pulled it up while you were talking there this is going to air at the beginning of may and so Mm -hmm. i think may is a great time to start trying things and working out the kinks and seeing what is going to work what isn't working so that you can start brainstorming ideas or finding resources or maybe it's you know how am I going to organize this? May is a great time to start trying some of those things and seeing what will or what won't work so that then next year in August, you can hit the ground running. Like, you know what you have to do. You're ready. You've prepped. You've thought about it. You've, you know, whatever. And May is a great time for that. Yes. And the kids will be more ready to try because I think for some people it's like, well, they're just going to get too rowdy. But May, they're rowdy. like Right. We're just with it. And yeah, meet them where they are. They need the fun. They really do. And it, oh my gosh, it just makes it so much more fun. Um, because I feel like as 
a special ed teacher, sometimes, like I said, somebody recently, like, I wish that I had the ability to do the crafts and to do the just because lessons, right. because we're we fun. have time for that. No, no, because we're bound by IEP minutes and IDEA, but centers kind of gives you that teacher outlet because you're creating things for them because you know what they need and you know that they love it. And they're way more engaged with it. They're way more engaged with learning. Um, and it's, yeah, May is the perfect time to do that. And if you're teaching summer school like me, <laughs> I plan to try some new things. I mean, there's something with my math data points that I'm just not really loving. Um, I'm getting the data, but I'm not loving how it's trending. And I think it's me and how I'm collecting it. And so I plan this summer, like I'm going to try something different with just math specifically. And I plan to do one, one group that I see. <laughs> I'm not going to try to do it with all of them. I'm going to trial run it with one group and just see how it goes. Um, yeah, and that's the key point. Yes. And by collecting data so often, you are able to start seeing what I'm doing right now for this group is not effective. Or maybe it's this mm -hmm. skill. Maybe it's not even, you know, the kids, but just like the skill that you're trying to tackle is challenging. And then to be able to adapt. I used to work with a special ed teacher who only collected data once every night. And I was like, how, how in the heck do you do that? Like, how do you know what they're doing? Now, obviously, like you're still working with kids. I'm sure informally he was seeing what they were doing, but it's just different once every nine weeks. It takes three data points to get a trend line. If yeah. that happens, then that's the third nine weeks. And we all know what the last nine weeks looks like of school. It's testing, interruption after interruption. And so it's like, you cannot wait that long to mm -hmm. see that what you're doing is not effective. And so by collecting data as much as you do, you can totally adapt and change and supplement and, and see what needs to be adjusted. And I think that's wonderful that you're noticing that. Nobody wants to notice that what you're doing isn't effective, but yeah, yeah. like it's real. <laughs> that's how teaching is, you know? Right. And my goal really from the beginning was I have got to make this as easy on me, as easy on the kids. Like data collecting should not be hard. Centers should not be hard. It should be very, very natural to what's going on in your classroom, especially if you've set expectations and they understand that this is what this looks like when I come into Miss Norris's room and this is our routine. This is what we're doing. Collecting those data, it's not a hustle for me, I guess, because it's just a natural interaction, but they're used to that being in front of me. They're used to seeing it. Um, they like to look at it, like, what are you writing? Um, it should just be a very natural part of what you're doing. Data collection should not be forced. And so it should be a very natural thing using things like boom cards, using a flashcard system, using task boxes, um, having a system like the green folder. Um, it makes it very simple for me. And most kids, I'm getting two to three data points a week. That's great. I mean, a, a week. And it's not... It's not been difficult because when I first found this system, I was like, well, dadgum, I'm really getting more data from them than I'm even realizing. Uh -huh. Like I should have been writing this down from the get go. Like, why was I not? It was almost an epiphany for me. Um, but I mean, again, that's what works for Emily. Right. That might not work 
you know, for somebody else. So that's why it's so but, important to but try. But even for others, maybe they don't want to write down three things every single week. Mm-hmm. But if you can do three, then dear God, surely I should be able to do one or, you know, do it every other week or, or whatever that looks like for a school or a district or a teacher or whatever. There are options, which is good. Yes. I mean, the I feel like the rule of thumb should be you should have one a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that would be my advice one a week. Um, and having, even if you just did one day of a simple 10 minute rotation, three stations, you can get a data point on an IEP goal. You could get a data point on a task box if they're completing, because you'll be able to note if they did that correctly or not. And, and one way I do that too, I'll say, leave it where it is. Uh, and they all stop. And we all put our hands up and I can walk around and just glancing like, okay, that was one, seven out of 10, 70%. Yeah. 20 out of 26 letters. Um, it should, it should not be hard. It should be just looking. I mean, just, just pay attention to what your kids are doing. I think if you're more aware of what you're doing, like what you're providing, you'd be amazed at how much information you're getting back that would be worth recording. And even looking at it through that data collection lens, instead of like, we just have to get it done. Like, you know, cause I think yes. some people, it's like the worksheet has to be done. The center has to be done. This has to be done. This has to be done. And obviously to get, you know, out of 10, you have to at least do 10, mm-hmm. but it's like, but there's a purpose. Why, why are we doing this entire worksheet? Why are we doing that? You know, well, it's to measure how, how can yeah. we do it? And so to stop looking at just check the box, just get it done. And what the heck are you doing and why? And then what does the data tell you from there? Yes. And if you're doing that, you probably don't like your job. Yeah. Yeah. Cause all you're I doing mean- is finishing worksheets or finishing, you know, the, the lesson in your intervention, you're not focused on student progress. Yes. And just to speak to, because I've done upper level elementary, it's not just the lessons. You're also having to do classwork yeah, as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes back to how intentional is your schedule? And when I did upper elementary, when I was doing fourth and fifth last year on Fridays, I had a two hour block of this is when we make up work. This is when they can come to finish work. If they need a retake, this is when we do it. Um, and having that communication and that kind of frees you up where they're not coming in on a Wednesday with a paper saying, Miss so-and-so says I have to finish this. Right. Um, so if that's something that you struggle with and you're like, well, I would love to do this, but my schedule doesn't allow it. Really look at your schedule. I mean, really, really look at it and how you are spacing out your time. Um, because if we're intentional with our time and saying on Mondays, I'm writing IEPs. On Tuesdays, I'm calling parents. On Wednesdays, I'm doing makeup work with kids. On Thursdays, I'm going to support gen ed teachers with, um, I have some kids with communication devices. So I, I go, that's when I do that. Um, then it helps your job go so much more smoothly. Your gen ed teachers will actually feel way more supported because you're being very intentional and that work will get done because you're not going, okay, well, we can't do that because we got to do this. Yes. They know there's a time and a place for it. And whether that's, they put it in a folder, they make a stack, they hand it to you and you clip it somewhere, whatever, you know, there's a system. They know what's yes. systems. Systems is your, I could probably talk for two hours about a system in a special ed classroom and just down to how they come into the room, where are you setting up 
your centers? Where are you setting up your instructional time? How are you communicating with gen ed teachers? Like you, there has to be a system for everything because we do so much. I mean, it's, I feel like I'm half business, half teacher. Like I've got to have that business side. And if there is one aspect of your job that you dislike or that's stressing you out or that just seems incredibly hard, more than likely it's the system failure. You know, it's like, yes, there isn't anything there or what you're doing takes too long, is more complicated than it needs to be, isn't well communicated. Whatever that is, you've got to have a system for that or else you are going to stress about that every single week or every single day. Because there's and, nothing in place. And that was that was a wake-up call to me. I feel like I'm kind of preaching to myself because I was at the point at December, as a lot of teachers were, where I looked at my husband and said, I don't know if I can do this. I, I don't know if I can keep doing this. And that was one thing that we talked about. Like, are you sticking to your schedule? Are you respecting the boundaries that you've set at place? Because one thing he said, was that he told me, he's like, you would leave at three and you're not doing it anymore. You're staying later. So are you using that time? Like I made the schedule. I wasn't staying to my own schedule. So there were there were areas of like, yes, this is a stressful situation, but I'm adding to my stress. I'm adding to what I'm doing. And so I kind of revamped my systems, tweaked things just a little bit so it would be quote unquote new. And after Christmas, I, I mean, I have felt so much better. I feel like I'm back in my groove I'm back to loving what I do. And like you said, it was a system failure. It was my own system failure that was causing me to have no joy. Um, And it makes handling the hard aspects of education right now so much more bearable because I just have a graceful outlook. I have a hopeful outlook because I know what I'm doing is effective and good for kids. And that's really what matters. That's why we get up in the morning. That's why we do what we do, you know? So that's so good. I'm glad that you got there. I hate that you were there, you know, in a a rough patch. And I think we all have that. That's real. And whether it be like life is stressful. So therefore everything else is like a domino effect of stress. Mm -hmm. Either way, we all get there. And so I'm glad you were able to kind of get out of it and work through some of that because it's real. Yes. And if you're listening to this, like, don't change your whole system, change your system for one group, start with one group. I I just think that that's the biggest advice I can give anybody is don't try to do it all at once because you will burn out so fast. If you can pick, because in resource special, I mean, we revolve on that 30, every 30 minutes, our day is changing in and out, in and out, in and out. We're changing constantly. So if you can pick one group to focus on and try the new things and you know, just focus on the things that we've talked about today, then it's going to feel so much more attainable. I agree. Um, And it's, 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 you get more excited. Like it's almost, if this works for this, just bite-sized pieces or, you know, Mm -hmm. like you've got to take it one step at a time. There's a meme of like um, some guy climbing a ladder and the steps are so tiny, you know, like each and every piece is really small. And then there's the other that it's like giant steps and the guys at the bottom because you can't do it. But the little teeny tiny pieces, it, it is doable. So mm-hmm. maybe even, I mean, how many stations do you your kids go through or does it vary maybe by group? It varies by how many I have in a, in a group. Typically it's three where I'm one and then we have a multi-sensory one here and then maybe an independent practice here. I was going to say, maybe you don't start with three. Maybe you don't start with four. Maybe it's just either you 
or the other station, then, you know, yes. then like juggling, you throw in another one and throw in another one until you find like that balance of what works for the time that we have, what works for the students that are in this group, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Emily, I have absolutely loved talking to you. I think we could go on forever and ever talking about station or even just special education in general, but we're at 55 yeah. minutes and uh, <laughs> data tells me people don't listen that long. <laughs> they don't. So we better wrap it up, even though I think I, I actually have a long list of things I could still ask you. Um, so I have one final question. And if you've listened to the podcast, you know, it's coming. Do you have an embarrassing teacher story that you are willing to share on the podcast? Yes, I had something happen to me this week. Okay. <laughs> I went in, right after it right after it happened, I thought, oh, actually I have two. Okay, this one's better. I'm gonna tell the other one better. I had a kid throw up during state testing this week. Oh god. I thought that's what I was gonna share, but I have a better one. So I have a set of parents that are very, very supportive of me. I've had both of their kids. Um they they're just good to me. They're yeah, just that's a good they're feeling. good to me. They notice when I need things, things like that. Well, we had a book fair and I had done a wish list like every other teacher uh-huh. does. And I had put a bunch of books on there. Well, this couple went in and bought all of them. Aww. And, I mean, it was like a hundred dollars worth of books, bought all of them. And I got them on a day that I was about to head on a first grade field trip. And I was flustered about this field trip. I was very like, I was having a high anxiety moment about it. Um, I have two very um, uh, prominent behaviors in first grade, and it was the first time that we were leaving school campus. And so I was, I mean, grab anything I could possibly need. I was like, what, what do I need? I got to be prepared. And they brought in this stack of books. So I had picked up my phone just to text her very fast, like, hey, thank you so much for the books. I appreciate you guys. Oh, gosh. She, <laughs> what did you she, say? <laughs> I'm heading out to the bus and I had texted her. Thank you so much for the new boobs. I really appreciate it. And she sent back, she sent back, Emily, we love you, but we're not paying for your plastic surgery. Like you have to do that on your own. And I, I mean, I fell to the floor because my principal and I read it at the same time. She was standing with me. Oh, my God. And to this day, it is still a joke between us. Like, I don't need new boobs. Thank you. Oh. I'm totally good with the ones that I got. And it, it could not have been the more perfect set of parents. I mean, his dad came through the car line, and we he and I hadn't talked. And he's already looking at me like, what did you do? Oh, my gosh. I'll never live it down. I mean, to this day, I was mortified. I mean, I was the color of a strawberry. I could not believe I had texted this parent. Thanks for the new boobs. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I, that is embarrassing. Like way. It was a lot. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I can't even imagine. I don't think I'd be able to look him in the eye afterwards. <laughs> it was hard when three weeks later we were sitting in an IEP meeting and all, all I could think about was I just told them, thanks for my new thanks boobs. Thanks for the new boobs. Oh my God. Oh, well, at least they liked you because could you imagine if it was already a parent who like mildly hated your guts and then here you text that, like that could have been really bad. It could have been really bad. That's, I mean, it could not have been the more perfect. Yeah. And I tell them all the time, like, I'm just so thankful it was you. I'm so thankful it was you. (laughs) 
or somebody like with a good sense of humor or whatever, because I'm just thinking like my mom or my grandma, if they had received a text message like that, I think they would have been so appalled, but like, you know, just the personality or the sense of humor of the parent would really, um, matter. And luckily it was, it was (laughs) It was good. It was good. It'll be something that we laugh about for a long time at my school, I'm sure. Because that story has been told hundreds of times. Like, you know what Emily sent to so-and-so's parents. I just imagine, like, when those kids are old enough to actually hear that story and, like, they love Miss Norris. And then later they're like, oh, my God, Miss Norris talks about her boobs to my mom. Like, how weird. Yeah, my parents bought Miss Norris's new boobs, apparently. (laughs) I mean... I guess the moral so of the good. story is slow down and never, ever send a message, a text message to a parent when you're a hot mess trying to get it together. Yeah, I was a hot mess. I was so nervous about that field trip that it was like, doo, 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 and kept on going and oh, oh mistake. <laughs> Huge regrets. I yes. Just slow know, down. I just want to know why as a teacher, boobs comes up in your phone before books comes up in your phone. <laughs> well, you know, I've only been married a year, so... <laughs> Do with that what you want. <laughs> I'm a newlywed in Alabama. That is good. Oh, God. All right, Emily. And I love your Instagram page. So before we really sign off, will you tell listeners where can they find you online to find yeah. more information and more things just about you and all the wonderful things you're doing? Yeah. So I'm one of those people that like I'm half in the teacher gram world, half out of it because I have imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. and I really stop myself from kind of jumping into that world. But I love to connect with it. I want to do it, but I'm just I'm dealing with some insecurities on that. But I am at Mrs. M.R.S. dot Emily Norris. Um, That's me. You'll see stuff of my dog and my husband. I'm an avid reader. So I post a lot on my stories about what I'm reading. Um, And then sometimes I post about special ed when I'm feeling confident in myself um, and would love to hear from you. You need to share, 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 because it really. Well, thank you. Yes, you have great ideas and a good positive outlook on what you're doing. So keep it up. I appreciate it. Yes. And a couple other places you can find me. Um, I did an interview with Goat Educators is her name, Nicole Thompson. She does um, huge social, emotional and trauma informed professional developments. So I'm on her page as well. I did like an hour talk with her just on trauma informed practices um, because she her and I did a I accidentally ended up in a professional development group with her one-on-one Uh-huh. Nice. where it was supposed to be all these people and ended up being me. And she's super great. And then I'm also on the teach it special group. They're um, a group through Instagram that does professional development specifically for special ed teachers. And I was on their summer series last year. So you can go back on there and find me as well in the depths of their Instagram. <laughs> That's good. And then I can link to all of those things. That way, um, it's just, you know, a quick link for them that if they want to see your training or your video or whatever you did, then we could just link directly to it so that people can hear more. Yeah. Nicole would love that, especially. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, wonderful. And thank you so much for being here today. Yeah. Thank you for asking me. This was so cool. Yes. I I love talking to, I could talk special ed all day long. So, which I feel like I've also said in every episode, so I better knock that off, but it's true. I could. (laughs) All right. Well, you have a great day, Emily. You too. Thanks. Bye. Well, my friend, that's a wrap. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Resource Room Podcast. I truly, truly love to help and support other special ed teachers. Because of that, I run a Facebook group just for us. Search the Resource Room and request to join. You can also check out my website, theprimarygal.com, for blog posts, pictures, and more information. Until next time, have a great week.